Good morning, and welcome to Mayflower on this beautiful day out. I think you guys all get extra credit for making it here through the rain. For those of you joining us live stream, we're happy that you're here today with us. If you're sitting in our pews, be sure you grab the friendship register and sign that. Many of you may not know that we have a sweet staff member, Murray Itema, who takes those sheets every week, and she accounts for all who are here so that we know who's been worshiping with us each week. So please be sure to sign those sheets. Today is World Communion Sunday, and as you can see, we have the communion elements on the tables here up front. We will continue to use the communion cups with the small little wafers on the top. During the part of the service where we celebrate communion, ushers will come and dismiss you by rows. You will come forward, take your cup, and receive a blessing. And if you are unable to come forward, please raise your hand and an usher can bring the communion elements to you. Today is an exciting day. If you came through the atrium, you notice all of the sweet, smiling faces of the children that we get the opportunity to sponsor through Eden Village. You have the opportunity to change their lives by committing to $30 a month to sponsor them for their education, their health, and their well-being. For a lot of us, this is a new ministry. But for uh, many, many people in this church, it's been a ministry that's been going on for 17 years of their lives. And today to share with us is Janice Huff, who her and her family have been one of the founding people to sponsor children at Eden. morning. Rachel asked me to share our experience with um, sponsoring children at Eaton Village, and it was 17 years ago that Kevin and Susan Fry came into this congregation and invited us to join in their ministry in Zimbabwe. I think people that heard what they were doing realized that $30 a month seemed like not much to us, but it would support that child in Zimbabwe for a month. Um, so our family considered it, and at the time, we had our senior, our youngest child was a senior, and he said, I want to sponsor a child, too. Well, I knew he was about to leave for college, and life would change for him, so obviously we considered if we were sponsoring two children. Um, so we did, and it's been a wonderful experience. The children do write periodically, and we get pictures, and obviously our children, one who started as a toddler, and another who started as uh, about a 12-year-old, they've grown up. And so it's been fun to see them become educated. Their writing is fantastic when they write letters. Um, And they've been trained to go out into the world and do good. So we are probably, I think we're on our sixth and seventh child because we usually get a a note from Susan that says, you know, people don't really like to um, care for the older children. Would you consider it? You know, I'm old myself, so I'm thinking, of course, I will take care of an older child. Um, So we've had a great time with that. And I'd just like to invite you to join our family in sponsoring children in Zimbabwe as well. Thank you. Thank you, Janice. So as you leave church, these are the booklets, and they're filled with all of the profiles of the children. And these pieces are hanging on the wall for you to pick the child or the children that fit you and your family perfectly. And now here's Julia with a word for today's music.
As you go into the atrium after the service um, and look at that beautiful setup that Rachel put, um, also admire the harpsichord that's been in there for a couple days, getting used to the humidity and temperature in this building. Um, it will be used in tomorrow's concert, so admire it with your eyes only, please. And please come tomorrow for the, for the concert at 7 p.m. Today, uh, as we celebrate World Communion, there are some sung responses that go with your liturgy, and so I just want to point that out in your bulletin that's on the third page. When we get to communion time, just make sure you've got your bulletin handy so you can join in on those wonderful three responses by William Matthias. And our anthem today during the offertory connects directly with our outreach uh, with Eden Village and Zimbabwe. So this uh, anthem, Prayer of the Children, written by Kurt Bestor, he wrote it um, after having lived in former Yugoslavia and many friends there. He writes, I wrote out of frustration over the horrendous civil war and ethnic cleansing taking place in the former country of Yugoslavia. And then he says, finally, one night I began channeling these deep feelings into a wordless melody. Then little by little, I added words. Can you hear? Can you feel? I started with these feelings, sensations that the children struggling to live in this difficult time might be feeling. Serbian, Croatian, and Bosnian children all felt the same feelings of confusion and sadness, and it was for them that I was writing this song. And it now is sung around the world with a reach and an emotional effect that he never imagined. And today we sing it as we launch our Eden Village ministry.
hear our call to worship. God made us in relationship and for relationship. God made us for community. Though we are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made, God knew it was not right for us to be alone. Through Jesus Christ, God entered into human relationship with us. Let us now rejoice in our unity with all humanity as we worship the one who made us and redeemed us. Holy God, we come to you from the south and the north, from the west and the east, coming to celebrate the God of peace. We are hungry for love and grace. May there be no strangers here. We come in joy to keep your feast. Amen.
Brethren, come forward and join the choir with me. Good morning. All right. I need some people with some good sniffers to smell this bag and tell me what you think is in this bag. Candy? Nope, no candy. What does it smell like? A present? Well, no. To moms, it's a present. It's not a candle. You're close. You're close. It's dryer sheets. I know, dryer sheets. So I go running early in the morning through the neighborhoods when it's dark. And when I run by houses, I smell dryer sheets. Because when your dryer in your house is working, it shoots all that air out of tube and outside of your house. Well, there's one house that I run by, and I don't smell dryer sheets. I instead smell perfume. And I know the girl who lives in this house, and she is amazing. And I think she's just a super neat person. And I recognize the smell of her perfume, and it always makes me smile just thinking about her. So this Wednesday at midweek, we have a man who's 92 years old, that is going to come and talk to us. And he invented something that all of us have either eaten or we've seen in the store. Jackson, will you come out, please? Has anyone sitting here eaten a Pop-Tart before? Oh, all day long. Okay, let's look out in the audience. Has anyone in the audience eaten a Pop-Tart before? Oh, my goodness. And let's look at the choir. Has anyone in the choir had a Pop-Tart before? Pop-Tarts are pretty darn popular. So Bill Post is a friend of Pastor Steve. And he is going to come and tell us his story because he invented Pop-Tarts. I know. Can you believe it? And so when I first heard of this man, Bill Post, I thought, what an amazing thing to invent Pop-Tarts. But then Pastor Steve started telling me more about this person. And then I got to meet him last week. And I think when we hear his story, we're going to think it's pretty awesome that he invented Pop-Tarts, but we're going to think it's even more cool the person that he is and the way he lives his life and his faith. So it's kind of like when I run by my friend's house and I smell her perfume, we're going to meet Mr. Post and we're going to think, it's awesome you invented Pop-Tarts, but it's even neater, the man and the person that you are. So we will all have to join us at midweek. Come meet Bill Post this Wednesday from 6 to 7. Kids and adults are invited. Thank you, Jackson. All right, let's pray. 
God, we are so thankful that we can be together today, and we are so thankful for all the people in our lives and how we all get to be amazing in the very special way that you created us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, choir, I'm going to dismiss you first. If all the choir could stand up and go with Miss Abby. All right, everyone who is five years old in kindergarten, if you can stand up, and you're going to go with Mrs. Coster down to the youth rooms for Bible beginnings. And Lynn, you can go too. And then all the first, second, third, and fourth graders can go with Mrs. Orban down to the youth rooms as well for Bible life. This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 11 through 34, and can be found in your pew Bible on page 784, reading from the book of Acts. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Theatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money 
for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, What must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord of all creation, we come now to seek you and to be led by your spirit. On this day of unity, celebrating the universal church of Jesus, remind us of how we are connected to each other across all boundaries because we have you in common. May the reality of Christ's life, death, and resurrection be a force that binds us. And may we be reminded of how precious and holy this is. Give us a global vision for how we can love and serve you. Amen. Well, first I want to thank Deb for volunteering as a lay reader this morning. I did get her okay to read such a long passage with some (laughs) complicated city names. If you're considering joining our team of lay readers, please do not be intimidated. 
I often uh, pick a longer text because I don't want to miss anything. Uh, And today's verses from Acts 16 are no exception. In our series, Why Church Mayflower Acts, we have been in chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Acts. We're jumping ahead in the book today, but next week we'll be back on, right Steve, back back on chapter 3, following 4, we'll go in sequential order. But we're propelled forward this morning in honor of World Communion Sunday. This passage in chapter 16, highlighting one of Paul's missionary journeys, takes the gospel into Europe for the first time. This little band of 120 believers in the beginning of Acts is now expanding across the continent. There are many ways in which the entire book of Acts is sort of on the move. There's motion and travel and people being transformed by the gospel at every turn. If the books of the Bible were movies, the book of Acts would be an action film. But why pivot our series for World Communion Sunday? What is World Communion Sunday? It's a designated Sunday each year that celebrates our oneness in Christ with Christians all over the world. We commemorate our connection to each other through the Eucharist. We come from different places and different traditions. We worship in myriad ways, but we are united when we come together at Christ's table. Interestingly enough, the church may have started in the ancient world of the Middle East and expanded throughout Europe. But today, the church is not growing in the West. Even a century ago, 80% of Christians lived in North America and Europe. Today, that statistic is less than 40%. The church is growing in the global South, Latin America, Asia, and Africa. Africa is now considered the biggest Christian continent. So as we think of our partnership with Eden Ministries, I hope you're well aware that we have as much to learn from our family there as they do from us, perhaps even more so as it pertains to receptivity of the gospel. All this to say, on World Communion Sunday, we're celebrating this unity with our brothers and sisters who are in places we've likely never been and are speaking languages we've likely never heard. But back to our text, and Paul setting sail and landing in Philippi. When Paul entered a new city, it was his practice to seek out any local Jewish community. There were pockets of Jewish families spread all across the Roman Empire. And in our text, Paul assumes he will find what's called a house of prayer. A house of prayer would have been a gathering spot for this remnant of Jews, and it would be near a body of water in order to facilitate the ritual washing that's essential for Jewish life. So sure enough, Paul finds Lydia, who's described as a God worshiper, and she's by the river. There's a chance she might have been Jewish, but many scholars posit that she was a Gentile, and she was sympathetic to the monotheistic practices and beliefs of the Jewish community. Regardless, as a dealer in luxury textiles, she would have been a wealthy business owner with a home large enough to welcome the newly arrived guests. And the text is clear that she was ready for Paul. Verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Her open heart
heart led her to believe this amazing story that Paul was sharing. And subsequently, her whole family was baptized. Her home eventually becomes the gathering place, essentially the church, for the believers in that part of the world. By choosing to be baptized, this powerful woman publicly proclaims allegiance to Jesus, and her family follows suit. Her open heart leads her to welcome strangers into her home, use her home as a hub for the growing church, and she is generous in her support. So we see this new life in Christ marked by hospitality and generosity. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? So we can stop and ask ourselves, how are we like Lydia? How can we become more like Lydia, right? Well, let's bounce ahead in this crazy chapter to the story of Paul and Silas being imprisoned. They're flogged and beaten, placed in shackles. They are on serious lockdown. And what do they do? They start singing. They put on a little bit of a praise and worship concert, don't they? In the midst of this, an earthquake erupts. Remember, this is an action movie. They're freed of their chains. The prison guard becomes suicidal. And then the narrative turns. The guard and his entire family are so overwhelmed by the power of the living God that they get baptized too. Perhaps we can say that both Lydia and the jailer were ready. Ready to meet Jesus. Ready to hear about this incredible Savior who out of the most profound love made the ultimate sacrifice for the salvation of humanity. Both Lydia and the jailer experienced this radical transformation and invited their families to be baptized into the family of God. This countercultural revolution of grace blew them away. We can surmise from this account that the tra- trajectory of their lineage was forever altered. The power of this gospel message and its journey over the entire earth is quite something. I hope we don't lose our appreciation for this movement of the Spirit in the book of Acts and in our lives today. It's the same Spirit, the same gospel, 2,000 years apart. Hmm, perhaps you notice I skipped a little part of the story. Why are Paul and Silas in jail? In the middle of Acts chapter 16, there's an account of a a Spirit-possessed slave girl. I am deeply troubled by this section of the chapter. There is no happy ending or closure or baptism for her. She appears to be some kind of pawn bereft of personal liberty. And she's stuck right in the middle of these two powerful accounts of God's saving glory. What on earth are we to make of this? The story goes that Paul, Silas, and the others were confronted by a spirit-possessed slave woman who could predict the future. Her owners capitalized on her prophetic ability. She must have had a true gift or she would not have been a lucrative slave. She followed the men for days, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Clearly, this is true. She's right. She identifies them correctly. Her gifting is on display. But what does Paul do? Does he praise her for her gifts? Does he acknowledge that they are from God? Does he attempt to negotiate with her owners to have her freed? 
No. The text tells us that Paul became so annoyed, he cast out this spirit. Paul was annoyed. He cast out her prophetic spirit. In essence, he stripped her of her most valuable asset. Her owners were furious, clearly, because they had been profiting off her fortune-telling. Who would pay for what doesn't come true? Who's going to pay for false prophecies? So they turned the local magistrates against Paul and Silas, these Jews that are stirring up trouble. That's why Paul and Silas are in jail singing praise songs. There is something about this I'm wrestling with. You too? Do we sometimes squelch the truth if we're irritated? Do we sometimes misuse our position, privilege, power, or authority, which can result in an unjust impact on the livelihood or spirit of others? Is this something to sit with on World Communion Sunday? Ouch. In our current cultural context, exorcisms are kind of weird. We often only see them portrayed in what? Horror movies, right? Yet in scripture, casting out of demons is not particularly unusual. And there are places all over the world today where that is not an uncommon practice. Often in the Bible, when a demon or a spirit is cast out, the person experiences freedom. They praise God for their liberation, and the result is joy. Yet here in our Acts text, this exorcism is not joyous. The slave girl might be free of her spirit possession, but she is certainly not free. One writer states it this way, A useless slave did not become a freed slave, but as an exposed slave, she was left to fend for herself with no means to take care of herself. Yes, the owners profited from her gifts, and yes, slavery is wrong no matter where it is found, on the pages of a sacred text or on American soil. Paul and Silas treated the slave girl similar to how her masters treated her, as an object that annoyed them, but not as a human being. Slaves were dispensable in a slave society, and slave women doubly so. They were commodified and objectified. And it's easier to treat the nameless in inhumane ways, to be indifferent to those toward whom we have no names, to render them invisible, treat them as pawns between good and evil. Paul was not perfect, so let's not pretend that he was. Sometimes we have to acknowledge what lies in and between the lines because that is where people live. It's where life happens. It's where we struggle with and against oppression. As a global church celebrating World Communion Sunday, let us not lose sight as to the vast disparities that exist between our churches. May our goal of unity as believers always include a cry for justice and mercy. But gosh, Paul's annoyance really stands out in Acts 16, doesn't it? By placing his own comfort or perhaps his own missionary success above the needs and wants of this enslaved girl who's been following him, he's wrong. He acts with bias. Professor Amy Lindemann Allen writes that wrong and that bias is returned to Paul. The official charge the slave owners bring against Paul and his companions is not that they disturb their means of livelihood, which is totally valid. 
Instead, the slave owners charged Paul and his companions in verse 20 with disturbing the city because they're Jews. What follows is not a retribution for an offense against the girl as property, but ethnically motivated violence. Paul, Silas, and their companions are flogged because they're Jews. Being part of a marginalized religious and ethnic population in the Roman Empire meant that it was not uncommon for people of Jewish descent to be targeted. They were beaten and jailed not because of what they did, but because of who they are. Did the earthquake stop Paul and Silas in their tracks? Perhaps they had begun to contemplate how they could escape. Or maybe who from Lydia's household might come and rescue them. But when the walls shook and the foundations of the floors rattled, breaking their chains, did Paul and Silas feel the very presence of God in that place? They could have run. But instead... They ended up saving the jailer's life, someone likely to be considered an enemy. And the good news of Christ is shared, and an entire family comes to faith. Were the chains of hatred, chains of inhumane treatment, chains of disregard for the humanity of others, as well as the chains that imprison, were all of these broken in that moment? God breaks chains, Dr. Allen states. God's love is stronger than any evil, and God's love does not tolerate hatred and indifference. The message of Acts, we will see throughout our series, is one that demands a stop to the hurt and the hate. Paul may have disregarded the slave girl and not treated her as a fellow divine image bearer, yet in so doing, he became the victim of racially motivated hatred. Like Paul and his companions, when the foundations are shaking, Acts calls those who consider themselves workers for the gospel to stand their ground in love. The action movie scenes in Acts chapter 16 are full of fascinating characters and events. Lydia, the powerful businesswoman, waiting with her heart open and her whole family experiencing the transformational power and baptism of the gospel. We see the slave girl who's a pawn in her owner's hands, and her accurate and persistent categorizing of Paul and Silas as slaves of the Most High. She annoys Paul, and he casts out her prophetic spirit. Paul and Silas, in turn, get attacked for being other. They become imprisoned rabble-rousers, unwanted Jews in a Roman colony. On World Communion Sunday, and in the launch of our Eden Ministry Child Sponsorship Initiative, I hope we can get a glimpse of ourselves and a glimpse of our world in this text from Acts. Are you like Lydia today, waiting and ready to hear the good news of Christ, ready to be baptized, or maybe to remember your baptism in this season? Are you generous? Are you hospitable? Are you ready to share what you have in service to the kingdom of God? Or do you see yourself in the slave girl who's subjected to the whims of others, whose ownership or annoyances change the course of your life, a life you do not have a voice or a choice in? Hmm, perhaps this is the reality for many of our brothers and sisters served by Eden Ministries. 
Maybe they can relate to this more than we can. Are you like the jailer, dutifully doing a job for the empire, almost sacrificing your life for this empire? Is it time to lay down your sword and fully commit to the way of Jesus? Or do you identify with Paul and with Silas, doing the best you can to bring light and joy and peace and good news to Christ to all you encounter? And sometimes you do a bang-up job of this. Sometimes you falter. Wherever you find yourself today, I want to say welcome. Welcome to the worldwide communion of the risen Christ. Welcome to the hodgepodge family of God. Welcome to the fellowship of believers all over the globe. We are not perfect, but we are loved. So, so loved. In the name of the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In a moment, the ushers will come to receive our offering. And whether you give online or use text or give physically here at the church, please know that your gifts are an act of worship. As we have so been so abundantly blessed, we give to bless others. May we give with extravagant generosity. The ushers come.
Thank you. You may be seated. Welcome to this worldwide communion celebration. In a moment, you'll be invited to come forward by your row to take the elements. We know these are not perfect. There's a very thin lid on top that releases the wafer, and then another one that releases the juice. Once you have taken the elements and you are back in your seat, you are welcome to partake as you are ready. Well, we gather at this table with people from all around our world. We join our sisters and brothers in Africa, Europe, Central America, Asia, and in all lands and continents. In the company of heaven, we praise your name and join in the unending Jesus said, I am the bread of life. All who come to me will never be hungry, and all who believe in me will never thirst. In Christ's love, there is no east or west, no north or south, but only one spirit of hope, peace, and love for all. Let us praise Christ. May this holy meal empower each of us to be agents of hope and peace in a time of uncertainty and strife. And on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And when you do so, do so in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. When you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. And let us pray. Loving God of infinite grace, we gather as a global community around your table. The bread is broken, the cup is poured, and in faithful obedience we remember Jesus. May we taste your infinite goodness, and may our brokenness be redeemed in the beauty of your love. Remind us that in the bread and cup there is a deep and wonderful mystery. the globe. May all who partake 
wherever they live, know the reconciling love of Jesus Christ. The ushers will now come forward to release you by rows. If you would prefer to remain seated, an usher will bring to you the elements as well. Jesus invites you to his table.
May we go forth from this communion with you to be one in Christ and one in witness to the whole world.
many of you are aware, uh, the last couple of weeks I have been available for personal prayer after the service. Today, Steve will be available. If you have anything that you would like to share with one of us and be prayed over, please know that we are available to you. So now is a benediction. On this Worldwide Communion Sunday, as we celebrate this partnership with Eden Ministries, may you be filled with awe and wonder about how big God is, how good God is, how global God is. And may you go in peace with the love of Jesus surrounding you. Amen. Amen.